You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I'm very fortunate to sit down today with Mr. Sharif Malnick, owner of The Forge Restaurant in Miami Beach, Florida, also chairman of Next Wave Funding, also chairman of the board-elect of Make-A-Wish Southern Florida. Welcome to the show, Sharif. Hey, Mark. Good to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Um, people who do not know Mr. Sharif Malnick, you're in for a treat because this guy is a human dynamo and super super interesting he is a lawyer businessman entrepreneur trains like a pro athlete and there's a lot going on with this guy and i'm going to do my very best to bring it out of him but i'm going to ask him some tough questions here some fun questions and some learning questions because he's passed on a lot to me and he's been a great influence positive influence in my life so, Sharif, welcome to the show. Thank you once again. Thanks, Mark. So, just to clarify, if you don't bring it out of me, it was your fault as the interviewer. We covered that off the air. Now we're covering it on the air. Thank you very much, You're Sharif. welcome. No, no I pressure. Appreciate, I appreciate that. So, Sharif, you're a very busy man. and You have a lot going on in your life. I want to start, uh, let's go way back uh, to childhood growing up with another man that you speak often about, your father, Mr. Al Malnick. And tell me what it was like growing up with your dad and what it, what you experienced with him. He was a lawyer. You both are graduates of the University of Miami Law School. And early on, seeing your dad work, work many hours, work with many different clients from all walks of life, what was that like? Well, it was pretty unusual. You know, my dad is... Uh He's my mentor until today. Um, he's my first early morning phone conversation that I have every day. Um, what time is this? We speak usually after my workout, so it's about... Um, and after his workout as well? Oh, yeah. He's, he works out super early. And what time so, does he oh, get up? These he, are important details. He's up like 5 in the morning. And you get I'm up? I'm up at 6 in the morning. Does he call you a slacker for getting up an hour after? <laughs> no, <laughs> he, he doesn't. He doesn't operate that way. Okay. He he lets you realize that you're a slacker on your own. He never says it. So he's a ninja. Oh, he is a ninja. Well, he's uh, growing up with him. He's been my mentor um, my whole life, um, and is my mentor now. And you know, it took me quite a number of years to realize. That he actually knows more than I do. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I always thought that I knew more, knew more than anybody else. Um, did you e even someone at that level? Did you give him the yeah, yeah, dad, I got it, I got it back in the day? Because now well, I know you have a great deal of appreciation. But back in the day, well, back in the day when I was a kid, I would be arguing a point. You know, I mean, maybe I was a eight year old kid, and I'm arguing and I'm arguing and I'm arguing. He looks at me and he's he he pulled the. Uh, the, the law school card. He says, you know, it's really strange. I'm a grown man and you're a little kid. You keep <laughs> arguing with me. I graduated number one in my law school class. I was number one in the on the bar exam. People
people come to me for advice all the time, and you won't hear what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. At that point, do you keep arguing? No, I shut up. Okay. I, I, I couldn't beat that argument. Well played. Um, so it was very unusual. He's an unusual man um, with, a, with a, a really a, a wide variety and eclectic taste. Um, so he has, I always saw the intellectual side of my dad. Um, he's extremely pragmatic, extremely direct. Um, you know, there is no, there is no sort of bullshit side to my dad. At the same time, there's a creative side and an artistic side and a flamboyant side. So, you know, he has all these, what in some people you would consider contradictory characteristics. Um, they're all really part of him. And it was very, very interesting. We were always around really interesting people. We traveled. Um, so I had great opportunities to see the world, mm -hmm. uh, to meet interesting artists and celebrities and business people and attorneys. And it was, um, it was a fascinating time for me. Yes, it sounds like an amazing childhood. It sounds like homeschooling was every bit as good, if not better, than the actual schooling. Yeah, it was. I mean, I actually felt as a kid, I was very mature as a child. And, you know, my parents would tell me we would be in Vegas. I was two years old and they were sleeping and they woke up and I had ordered room service at two years old and filled the whole living room of the suite with food. <laughs> you know, we just was a different kind of an era. You know, it was a different time. Right. You know, um, and because of his, you know, his brilliance in his law practice, you know, he had friends like Frank Sinatra and all these like really interesting people and Dean Martin and the Rat Pack and um, just all these characters were coming in and out of our lives. Um, so some pretty was, interesting people right there. It was very fascinating. I'm sure you have stories for days. So I'm going to ask you about some of those stories in a bit. At that point. Um, well, not that point, you're two years old, but growing up, at what point do you realize you really want to follow in the footsteps of your dad in, in regards to being a lawyer? Well, you know, I, I went to law school, um, but I never ended up practicing law. Um, and my dad practiced law for a while when he got out of law school and really went into, into business after that. Um, so as a child, I really did want to follow in his footsteps. And as I became a teenager, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I really ended up going to law school, I think, and I'm happy that I went, but I was kind of programmed to go to law school. Right. It just seemed like, I, and I wasn't sure what else I wanted to do. You know, a lot of people know exactly what they want to do. I wasn't sure. I, I never went to law school with the idea that I must practice law. But, you know, in retrospect, I realized that going to law school changed the chemistry of my brain and it taught me how to think in a completely different way. And, um, and I'm really happy that I went. And that was the influence of, of my dad. Something just happened recently that um, we, I was uh, invited, uh, my dad and I were both invited to be judges at a law school competition That's right. last week. Mm -hmm. Laws with, Law Without Walls. At the University of Miami, right? At UM, yeah, UM Law School. And I did it last year, and I asked my dad if he would do it this year because they really would love to have him as a judge. And it was great, you know. Um, I was one years old when my dad graduated law school in 1959. Wow. And now we're both going back to University of Miami Law School, and we're 
judging a presentation from international law students um, on the same panel. And it was a really a great feeling. That's incredible. Full circle, huh? Yeah, that's full circle. That's amazing. So, so to follow up with your answer, in, in high school I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I went to law school, um, and when I got out of law school, I, I ended up uh, uh, was ended up getting married and kind of traveling the world and trying to find myself and what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, uh, you know, I tried a few different things that nothing really grabbed me passionately, and I came back here in 1990 um, and Miami Beach changed. It was percolating. And um, so I had the opportunity to take over the forge, which I took advantage of. And what types of changes did you see, noticeable changes did you see from when you had left and when you returned? Well, growing up in Miami Beach when I was a kid was just about the most boring place you'd ever want to live. Boring? Yeah. You know, You'd people, have to talk people into that nowadays. That's right. Right. So people say to me, you know, you're so lucky you grew up in Miami Beach. And I'm like, you have no idea what this was like. I mean, you couldn't, there was nothing to do. You know, South Beach was, was horrible. Horrible. Yeah. It was, you know, if you remember that scene in Scarface mm-hmm. where, um, you know, where one of the guys is chained up, handcuffed, and the guy goes after him with a, with a with a uh, chainsaw, I know that scene very well. Yeah, so he shoots the shoots him in the middle of the street with all the old people sitting out on all the verandas. That was South Beach. That was Miami Beach. Wow, it was an elephant's graveyard. People came here to die. Wow. Yeah, hard so to believe now, right? It is. It's, it's incredible. A different city. So that that's what you know really got me interested in staying here. Um, I had worked in the restaurant for so many years as a kid. You know, I was peeling potatoes, you know, when I was 12 years old and flipping hash browns when I was 13. You mean to tell me he, he didn't let you hobnob with the stars and be out front <laughs> and do all those things? Not necessarily, huh? You know, my dad really believes, and I believe, you know, and I'm a product in many ways of my father, that you need to work your way up to anything and everything that you do. You know, not just because you need to suffer. No, that's not it. It's because you really need to learn the business you need, and you need to earn it. And you know? experience so the process. And your self-esteem is built at the same time and you become a master of what you do with a lot of knowledge. You know, so, so often you see people that they actually just want to start at the top. You know, I think most people want to start at the top and so they end up never getting started <laughs> because Interesting. the doors aren't open at the top. That's right. And how can you sustain a business how can you learn all the systems how now you have such a great understanding of the front door the welcome staff the waiters the waitresses the behind the bar everything that goes into reservations you know it backwards because you lived it your entire life yeah. well that's right and you know you know you take malcolm gladwell's proverbial 10,000 hours where are you going to get your 10,000 hours you know i mean you need your 10,000 hours if you want to if you want to challenge that door at the top mm-hmm. you got to get up somewhere absolutely 1990 you come back to uh, miami beach percolating it's changed a great deal it's hopping so to speak and you find yourself in what position now you were peeling potatoes as a young boy and maybe a teenager and now you're back what role do you take on well i i, I yeah throughout my childhood and even in college you know i worked at the forge in various positions 
including management. Um, and uh, uh, when I came back in 1990, I was given the opportunity to take over the restaurant, the operations of the restaurant, um, as an owner of the restaurant, which I, which I jumped on the opportunity, actually. What a great opportunity. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, it was always in my mind when I was younger that as something that I would like to do. And then I got sort of sidetracked. Um, and when I came back, it was just, it was, you know, when the planets line up and you know there's an opportunity, take it because you may never get that opportunity again. Absolutely. And were you nervous at, at all? I mean, you must have been, I mean, you're taking a, you know, this, this legendary restaurant uh club or, or wonderful establishment you're in charge now there must have been some sort of nervous energy going through your body it's no, a huge responsibility yeah no actually i wasn't nervous at all um and what you're I, like joe montana what I, <laughs> but I, I was excited and i wanted to implement uh you know the city was changing um and because the city was changing that means the restaurant needed to change. I thought it was a great opportunity to put my signature um, on the restaurant and my ideas, and um, and sort of you know marry them with who we were and our brand and the goodwill that we've already established. So I uh, I accepted you know wholeheartedly the challenge of of reinventing the restaurant along with the reinvention of Miami Beach and South Beach. Amazing and. I went to, or, or I had dinner at maybe in 2002, 2003 at the Forge when Glass was still around. It was also connected to the nightclub, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, that there's been several places there. Um, in the early 90s, I had a cigar club called Cuba Club. Um, I didn't know that. Which was in that space, and it was an amazing, cool, private club. And it had a pool table, had a very cool restaurant, and a walk-in humidor. And, you know, Madonna had a cigar box there, Michael Jordan. Oh, that's amazing. You know, Bono, Michael Douglas. I mean, it was a very, very cool spot. Um, and all everybody, you know, stashed their Cuban cigars there. Um, and it was a, a private dinner supper club, you know. And <laughs> after that, I opened a place with Regine. Regine it was the infamous queen of the night the she really invented the discotheque really yeah and i i had been in her she had owned 45 clubs in her lifetime wow and, and she's is she a miami uh, local she she's from, from, paris. from from paris yes and she's a she's a lounge singer she has cds out she's quite a parisian character and so you know i looked at the um in the cigar club there the cigar craze was going crazy around the nation so Cigar Aficionado was a hugely right. popular magazine. And all these you know, starlets were smoking cigars on magazine covers. And uh, Regine came in one night, and I had been to her clubs most of my life all over the world, mm -hmm. you know, in Paris, and she has clubs in, in, in uh, Morocco, and it just, it's insane everywhere. And most, uh, I guess most importantly, she she created a club and founded a club in Monaco called Jimmy's, and it ends with a Z. Some people call it Jimmy Z's. Right. And um, so she said, "Why don't we open the Jimmy's here?" And uh, <laughs> I'm like, and I looked at, I said, "But I have a cigar club." And I started thinking, how long are cigars actually going to be <laughs> this popular? Right. Right. So am I going to wait until cigars go down in popularity, and then all of a sudden 
owning a cigar club would be the worst thing to do? Yes. Or should I convert it now while it's still popular and turn it into this really cool European style nightclub called Jimmy's? And so we did it. And um, it went for eight years and it was very popular. Um, and we had a we had a, a great time. It was a it was so much fun working with her, and she was a lovely, lovely lady. Um, she's in her eighties now. She's still singing. She's writing books. That's she amazing. Just came, she just flew in and had dinner here at the Forge recently. And then after that, after that, uh, we opened Glass, uh, a nightclub, and then I closed for renovations. Um, I remember I was depressed. Yeah, well, I was depressed with the restaurant because. Well, I looked at the reason that I, I that the timing occurred was when I looked at the economy. Economy was it was two thousand, early two thousand nine, when I decided to do it. Um, maybe late two thousand eight, and I sat around this table, this conference table that we're sitting at right now, in my office. Big, big, huge wood conference table, large room. There's tons of. Uh, Notes on the wall, on large charts, giant television screen, lots of art, and a big desk, an artistic desk, I will say. It's the wing of a DC-9 airplane. That's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. That's cool. So you're sitting around this table. Sitting around this table, and I said, with all my management team here, and I said, what are we going to do? Um, nobody's spending any money <laughs> in the country. Right? The economy has crashed. There are no expense accounts. Um, you could just see it. No, nobody's traveling. The hotels are empty. So I went around the table, and everybody had an idea of you know, discounting things, offering two wine two for one, Limiting the menus, you know, uh, making the portions portions smaller. All ideas that would weaken the brand, dilute the brand. Um, then I, when I thought about it, I was like, well, what are you going to do? What are we going to do when the economy comes back? We're going to have a lousy restaurant. And we'll never recover from that. Right. So everybody looked at me, and I go, I have another idea. And everybody's w waiting. And I said, let's close. <laughs> right? The Forge had never little closed. Little curveball. Curve <laughs> yeah. And everybody's jaw dropped. I said, let's renovate. You know, I've always said there are so many things that I would like to change. In the Forge, you know, um, just to add my own design you know, ideas, times had changed, you know, the food restaurant had been open, you know, say, um, close to 40 years. It's, you know, it's time, you know, technology, you know, there was no technology when the forge was built. I want to add technology. Of course. You know? um, and, uh, and so we did. We closed for 11 months. And when I closed, and while we were closed, which was a very interesting time for me because, you know, I would be here nearly every day for right. many, many years. Um, I closed the nightclub as well. 
And I decided while we were closed that I wasn't going to reopen it. Um, you know, you're, I, I, you know, there are a lot of people that say that your business, you know, you can't, you shouldn't identify yourself as your business. But you know, to me, which is more of a, a Randian way of thinking, um, and that is that in many ways your business does identify you. At least I think that way, um, and. I don't bifurcate who I am and what my business is and how I run it. Um, and I just didn't feel for me personally that I was in the nightclub era of my life. Right. I had done it. I did it when I was younger. Um, you know, I had this very, very peculiar, it's almost like a nightmare, but it's, you know, it's a nightmare while you're awake. Uh, visual of myself, you know, with a, you know, with a hearing aid, and some young girl sitting on my lap as an old man in a nightclub, and it repulsed me. Oh and yeah. And I was like, "That's not happening." Oh yeah. Okay. Stop to that. Right. I'm done. So. Um, and it takes a certain mindset to to go into that club, into that room, because the night doesn't exactly start at seven. Yeah, exactly. It's what eleven, eleven thirty, midnight, and you're there to four or five a.m. Right? Yeah, I mean, often I was um, back in the back in the nineties for sure. And you have to be there. Yeah, you have to be there. Well, yeah, exactly. So, so, and and I, so I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore, and I wanted to explore some other things and other businesses. So, um, and so my days start at six thirty, or six rather. I'm up at six. And um, as opposed to you know sleeping and trying to be able to put in an afternoon, a night, and in a late night. Right. Um, so so I decided not to do that. Um, you know, I the business the business reflects who I am and where I'm at <laughs> in many ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think your business reflects who you are um, ethically too. You know, if you run a an honest business, if you treat your employees properly, that's kind of who you are. And if you don't that shows you what kind of person you are too. Absolutely. Right. So your business is a reflection of who you are. A million percent. And at this point, when when do you start to implement? You know, we could talk about the forge and how you changed and just kind of. There's so many things you wanted to change. You made it incredible. It's one of the best, if not the best, restaurant in all of South Florida. It's an amazing experience. If you haven't tried out the forge, it's just an incredible experience. Period. The food's incredible, yes, but the whole experience from the, the the service, when you walk in the door, the food, the ambiance, it's an incredible place. So it really is. I know I'm sitting here in front of the owner, but I've been many times, and every time I walk away going, that was special, really. Thank you. When do you uh, venture into Next Wave funding? Well, I got um, into Next Wave funding a, a few years ago. Um uh, my brother-in-law is the CEO. I'm the chairman of the company. Um, it's a family company. It's a finance business, but I've become very passionate about it. Um, and I really enjoy the finance business. Um, and so it really takes up most of my time. What do you love most about it? Well, there are a few things. You know, one is it's like living in an, in an algorithm. So it's so mentally challenging and titillating uh, to try to figure out solutions, mathematical solutions, technological solutions, 
it's a very technology driven business. Um, I also love looking at, you know, it's like it's like living in the Shark Tank show. Right. I get to look at all these different businesses, all these different statements and tax returns and try to figure out really what's happening in each business you know, what, during our underwriting process. Right. And so it's been really, <laughs> I have an enormous amount of experience of seeing how people are across the nation run small and mid-sized companies. It's been an eye-opener, and it's unbelievable. Some in, in terms of how sophisticated some people are, and some in terms of how simple people are, um, and how realistic some people are, and how unrealistic Delusional. some people are. And delusional. Delusional. You know, yeah. Why don't we try to get seats on uh, Shark Tank 2.0 for Mr. Sharif Malnick and Mr. Randy Frankel? I think that would the ratings would go through the roof. That'd be fun. That'd that be a lot be. of fun. Well, I, actually, this law school thing that my dad and I did was like Shark Tank as well because the law students were presenting an entrepreneurial idea to us who would be venture capitalists, but it's a it's an entrepreneurial idea in the legal field. So we really looked at it from a legal perspective, I mean, from a business perspective. Um, so my dad focused on the financials and the undercapitalization and mine on the fact that they may not be taking um, competition, future potential competition or legislation um, into consideration, which might make them uh, completely irrelevant. Really? Yeah. That's, that's, it was Interesting. Fun. Interesting. So you, you have an extreme passion for next wave funding, uh, just the problem solving, just the education itself, with, which, which comes within that business. Um, you said you've learned so, so much. You were saying, I'm sorry. Well, it's also rewarding uh, at next wave. And it's rewarding to help people, help businesses. You know, it's really fun to see the entrepreneurial spirit. And when people or businesses come to us, with an idea, um, you know, they're ongoing businesses or, or ongoing concerns, but with an idea that they think will make their business grow and that is better. And after evaluating it and agreeing to it, um, funding them and then watching the great results, the fruits of their labor and their creativity, um, it's, it's very inspiring. And it must be very rewarding to see someone climb the mountain, so to speak. Yeah, really. it really is. So being involved uh, in the Forge for so many years, and it's such a huge success, and, and now in Next Wave Funding, you have a staff. When you're looking to build your team, what are the types of things you look for in your hires? What are some of the things that you say, you know what, this person is someone... They are, obviously, there's a lot of um, things that come you must have you know, the knowledge, you must have the education, you must have the experience. But what are some of the other intangibles that someone must have? Well, I think first and foremost is a giving characteristic. Um, I think Adam Grant wrote about this best in the book Give and Take. He's the youngest tenured professor at the Wharton School of Business. And he separates all people into three categories givers takers and matchers great book by the way great if book you, if you haven't read it check it out give and take by adam grant and um and 
it's funny because I just handed out four copies of that book to uh, to some uh, some employees that I have at um, at Next Wave. You know, over a little bit of period of time, um, because I really believe uh, in that whole axiom and philosophy. Um, so often you find people that are super talented that are not team players. It's all about me and it's all about I. But as Adam Grant, I think, proves in his book, you know, the I, the me, the taker, they may have a meteoric rise, a spike, right, in success. But those are the people who end up, you know, if they're entrepreneurs, they end up often bankrupt, um, dead by suicide, mm -hmm. or imprisoned, um, you know, or home arrest. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, as we've talked before in the past, they don't really see it that way. They obviously don't see it that way. They don't realize that they're the takers. No, they don't. But remember that that this the the operating system by which people function was something that was developed when they were a child. And if you don't figure out your issues and why things affect you the way they do, why you don't play well in the sandbox, why why it's all about you, why you leave behind you a wake of people who resent you and want to take you down and the first opportunity they do, they will. If you don't figure out those things, and those are things that you developed as a child. Oh, yes. You know, if you don't, if you don't figure out and integrate those things, then um, you will lose in the end, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, the, they're, they're, we're not talking about the kind of givers that are like a doormat, okay? You know, you don't give to someone who abuses you and takes advantage of you. Mm -hmm. You know, part of the, that's a, there's a caveat there. What you do is, it's the other kind of giver that you have to be, and that's the giver to people who you give to without the expectation of receiving anything, but people who can actually, w most likely will take what you give them mm -hmm. and grow from it. And then you have a wake behind you of people who want to help you, who want to assist you, even though you're not asking for it. And who help. want you to be successful. And they want you to be successful. That's right. And in fact, help you to be successful mm -hmm. because they will help you without you even asking them. Even behind the scenes, you may not even know That's it. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I use that book, honestly, as a tool because the book helped me. You know, I started asking myself, how much of a giver am I? You know, really? You know, because, you know, you live in this, you know, dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know, mm -hmm. the proverbial dog-eat-dog, -dog, and you want to make sure that you don't become, you need to be tough, but you don't want to make sure that you become jaded because not everybody is trying to take advantage of you. That's right. There so are good people out there. There are. And it's a know? skill to recognize them, right? So in your recruiting process, those are the areas, you know, that, that you really have to focus on. There's a tool, too. Um, which is kind of interesting. It's called Predictive Index. And in, I think it's a series of two sections of 25 questions. It, there's 25 or 50. And it's, it's separated into how do you see yourself and how do others see you? And so when you check off the, the, the adjectives that describe how you see yourself, mm -hmm. and then you check off the ones how others see you. And... The whole thing takes like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And you can't believe how accurate this is because you get a full written report 
and the test is is designed to catch people that are trying to manipulate it so because nice. people will try to do that right you know and i have found it is a very useful tool in recruitment um it tells you gives you an idea who's going to be a team player and who's going to be a loner and you would never know by talking to them and you use this with everyone yeah we do we we, we give it to everybody that we we hire and what is it called again for the audience it's predictive index predictive index i think i'm going to hit that tonight yeah it's really cool it's <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah um so you know you're looking for you know people to be givers obviously honesty what are what are some of the other things you're looking for when you sit down with someone well you know i have to tell you like a on our sales team for example you know we've talked and you don't always get what you want because there are other types of people that you know from other categories that do just fine but in many ways in often we look and are impressed with athletes um, people who have played team sports, people, athletes, you know, they're, they're so driven, um, they're results oriented. And if they're a team player athlete, they're team oriented. And so, you know, they understand hard work. They don't complain. You know, they understand that, you know, in order to get what you want, you need to, you need to suffer, <laughs> you know, you need yeah. to, Go through you it. have to go through the wall, you know, yeah. you know, whatever your threshold is for that. And so we do actually look for, we and like athletes um, on our team. Um, so work ethic is really important. You know the people who just come in want to punch a card and, you know, I, I have no, you know, the, my only restriction are my date nights with my wife. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. But, you know, I don't have a time schedule. Those are unschedulable. Yeah. That's right. You you build your team. You, you have uh, next wave funding, the forge. In getting there, what are some of the you I would say keys to success, or some of the traits that just were so very important for helping you get there? You know, I've heard them all from integrity, uh, knowledge, courage, decisiveness, dependability, uh, enthusiasm. Well, I've I've been through lots of different you know stages in my life. Um, you know, I, I can tell you now and looking back what I think the most important values are to me and there are values that I look for other people, whether they be friends or my significant other or I try to instill in our kids or in people I want to hire, you know. First and foremost is telling the truth. I have very little... Um, patience for people who don't tell the truth. I actually have no patience. <laughs> it's a really uh, zero tolerance. We've talked about this many times yeah. before. And exaggeration is another form of lying. Yes, sir. So, you know, I just, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't hold bad feelings for people who do that. I just don't want to be around them. I don't want to work with them and I don't want to sleep with them. Okay. Because you can get that on you. Yeah. And, and I don't want to live, you know, in this, I don't want to live and be around people that I can't trust. And so, you know, if you screw up, just tell me, it's fine. We'll handle it. We'll fix it. We'll move on. I screw up all the time, but owning it is really important to me. Um, so telling the truth, I think is, is for me, huge, huge. It's a, 
it's a universal ethic i think that you know that unfortunately is not prevalent in society it's okay to uh fudge the truth so to speak well you know i went to this really interesting yeah i know and fudging the truth you know (laughs) is lying (laughs) but um you know i went to this this very interesting workshop called um esp and gabrielle and i did it uh we was three it was separated into three different times we did 16 days so it was a five day of a five day and a six day and it was absolutely brilliant and it did a lot of different things but you know it it really identified the types of human behavior and gave terminology to that behavior of of what people do to control other people so when you know what what it, what's interesting is, and the guy that designed this is a, is a genius. He's like the number three problem solver in the world. And and what's his name? Uh, Keith. Yeah, now you gotta got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We'll look it up. We'll, yeah, look, we'll it look it up. up. His name is Keith something. Okay. O'Riri, O'Leary. There's a if on the internet. There's a lot of controversy about okay. him. Okay. But I didn't look that up before I went to see him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, because it didn't matter because in spite of what. It, you know, there's always naysayers. I experienced the, the workshop and it was phenomenal. But he gave, he gave a, a term, a, a lingo, to what people do to try to control you. And when you start to realize that the inauthenticity of people, and that's the kind of people you don't want to recruit and you don't want to bring on, people who are saying things to you to get you to do what they want, okay? So this all goes all the way back to the childhood Okay, operating system. The manipulative operating system. Yes. Is it Keith Ranieri? Yes. Okay, Keith Ranieri. Keith Ranieri. So he he's got he's written hundreds and hundreds of modules for for all this human behavior. But you know, he, there's something called correspondence control, and that is you know, I get you to do what I want. Okay. First, I'm going to try being really nice to you. Oh, that didn't work. Now I'm going to try by being really angry with you. That didn't work. Now I'm going to try being hurt and being victimized. So you, and, and he's got a, a name and a title for each one of these multiple ways of controlling other people. And you start sitting down with people, you realize this person's not communicating with me. They're trying to control me. When you start a- analyzing human behavior, you start realizing who do you want to be around? Oh, yes. Who do you want to hire? Who do you want to work with? You know? So it's really important to do this analysis and, um, and surround yourself with the kind of team that will help take the team to victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have a wonderful team here at The Forge. Um, I can only imagine that next wave, the team is at the top of their game. You approach things a little bit differently. Um, you're a very focused person. You're very dedicated in whatever you decide to commit to. Uh, you have great discipline. I know this because I happen to be fortunate uh, to be on, I call him his training team because I am a trainer by trade, a strength coach. I train Mr. Malnick, and this guy gets after it. He wants me to train him like he is a professional athlete. And he wants it to be challenging. He wants it to be strategic. 
and he wants it to be downright hard. So where did this love for, you know, being athletic and trying to train yourself to be in optimal conditioning come from? Well, I do have a good, a great role model in terms of my dad, who's been training seven days a week for the last 40 years. You know, we, uh, he, we were in St. Bart's for a family holiday, 64 of us, by the way. 64 people. 64 family. people. Family. Family. Yeah. So that's a small party. How do you get those reservations going? <laughs> table table of 64, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, had, we cooked our own meals. Yeah, and um, and I think we did seventeen hundred meals in in our house uh, for wow. the seven days that we were there. Wow! Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. It sounds like a fun menu. It's a it's a fun time. It brought our whole family so close together doing these all these years. You know, I highly recommend it. It's incredible. You don't have to go all the way to St. Bart's though. You can you can go. I might closer. do it here. Yeah. So, you know, we were we were working out every day in the gym and you know I, I see my dad he's, he was 80 at the time and um, you know he hands me these heavy dumbbells you know and then I realize that you know I'm, I'm fortunately a, pro a product in many ways of him being my role model um, you know you have something on your wall and an anatomy and I know it's a philosophy that you live by and it's a philosophy that I live by and that it's, if it's humanly possible, I know I can do it. Um, so when I see my dad at 80, going to be 83 next week, um, training, fit, mentally fit on top of his game, knows everything that's going on with all 10 of his kids, I realize that that paradigm, I can actually take back to the next level. You know, it's like the four-minute mile, right? Oh, yeah. You know, nobody could break that barrier until one person did. Roger Bannister. There you go. Right, so so I think a I've had a, a really good role model, and I've been subjected to that. Um, uh, B, I like a challenge, so I don't work out only to be in shape. I work out to be the best that I can be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really important to me. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I work. I don't think I'm a, a natural athlete. I think I work hard at it, and I try to excel at it, and that's why I do sports, and that's why I train for my sports. Um, skiing, skiing, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu are my two passionate sports. And you practice uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu how many times a week now? I I practice uh, jiu-jitsu three times a week. Three times a week. You do resistance training how many times I a week? I do resistance training four times a week. Four times a week, and then you do a speed and, and agility agility session. Yeah. And I tell you, this guy really gets after it training's hard and it's not working out don't make the mistake of thinking he's going into the gym and he's getting a workout in he's training on a program and he's not 21 okay <laughs> he's not 21 i'm just gonna leave it at that he moves very well and look he's the first to admit it He's not an incredible athlete. That's why he works his butt off at it, and that's why he wants to be better at it. And that's a very admirable, th admirable thing, because a lot of people think they're extremely athletic, and then I watch them move, and they can't do anything laterally. They can't move in a transverse plane of motion, and they don't have great mobility. And you work very hard at it, but that's just a small part of your regimen. The other part of that is your recovery. 
in your nutrition. Tell us a little bit about a little bit about your recovery and some of the things that help expedite the recovery process. Well, I'm very in tune with my body, um, and I, I listen to my body, and I know what my body is telling me, which is why I went to see the doctor today about my shoulder. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, I see a chiropractor every week. Not because I have a problem, but I see a chiropractor to prevent problems. I see Elliot Grusky, who does the um, does the UM athletic program, sees the you know the Miami Hurricanes every two weeks. All the players line up to see him because they're going to perform better. Um, when your alignment is right, um, you have less chance of injury. And then, of course, if I have a problem, I go and see him first. Um, I even go to see him if I feel like I'm run down. And my immune system is down because, yeah, I don't go straight to wow. a doctor. I, wow. I, and because he can activate my immune system. And um, so so he's a very, very important ingredient. Um, I, uh, I also do the cold plunges at Anatomy for Recovery. It's really important. Whew. That'll wake you up. Yeah, it, it wakes you up. <laughs> By it the wakes way, up most of part of your body. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's By the way, it's 50 degrees today. Yeah, is it really? 50 oh, degrees. Awesome. I mean, it, it, I couldn't even stay in there. I mean, it, it's that that's, cold. That's fantastic. And but it, it's amazing that you can um, you know, be completely rejuvenated after a really hard and pounding workout like we do. Mm-hmm. And it just, I think it saves my joints. Um, and so I listen to my body. I know when I need to take it back a couple of notches. Um, and I know when I can really crank it up. Um, and getting the right amount of rest. And I think everybody's different. Um, you know, I think I could train myself to sleep any amount of hours that I need to. Mm-hmm. I would just make the inc- small incremental changes to mm-hmm. get to that um, that number. So right now, for me, seven hours works perfectly. Seven hours, like clockwork. Yep, it's like clockwork. And I can, I can vary that a little bit and get a little less uh, if I need to. But if I wanted to get less permanently, what I would do is... I would reduce my sleep by 10 or 15 minutes um, each week until I got to the desired number. And then I think that that would be my number and I'd be fine with that too. So Really? Yeah. You could get by with five, four? I don't know about that little. Right. But I know that my seven could turn into six every night, I believe, by bringing it down incrementally over a long period of time. And then six would be fine. But it's just whatever you're used to, you, you shock your system when you change it. The body likes pattern. The, the brain, which is, I think, the, the basal ganglia, which is the part mm-hmm. of your brain, mm-hmm. which has habits, it's, it's, uh, it's, it may be the most important part of your brain, actually. Absolutely. Right? Um, and that habit of sleeping is really important to maintain stability. And you have uh, seven hours of sleep, like clockwork. There's also some, some interesting things on nutrition and supplementation. You do... You regularly participate in uh, IV therapy. Tell us a little bit about IV therapy for yourself. So, so I do IV therapy, and uh, you know, I do a lot of supplements, and I'll add supplements into the IV therapy, the ones that I believe in, like large doses of vitamin C. I believe in. Tell us about your take on. You know, I know you've done the research and you've done the reading, but tell us why large doses of vitamin C. Well, you know, in the end. You, you read the research, and I've read actually books on vitamin C, <laughs> but um, 
you know you you take something and then you have to be try to be objective because you know the placebo effect of anything is you want it to work so you could probably give most people anything and if you tell them this will change your life they feel like their life changed you know so i know this well yes (laughs) (laughs) this is amazing yeah we're gonna get more of it right so so you have to really be objective and it's really hard to be objective but i have noticed and i'm very data driven you know um so i have noticed since i've taken more and more vitamin c that my immune system is stronger that i get sick less often that i can actually feel something coming on so i feather back the throttle just a little bit and um and then it does, I, I don't get it yeah interesting yeah and i'll load up on the vitamin c you know it just it it works it, it works for me and you usually get a double bag single bag i, I well this i got a I got. I was getting a single bag, and then um, uh, somebody told me that Luol Deng did a double bag. I got that same guy told me the same thing. And so, so of course, they of did course a double. <laughs> we did. You know, Luol Deng said he felt nothing on one bag, but if he got two, he felt hydrated. Right. So you know, I, I want to be Luol Deng. That's so, right. You know, so I did it. So Vita Squad here in Miami Beach, Florida, does an amazing job. If you're looking for an IV, there's a little plug for Vita Squad. They do a great job, great service. Well, they also, I think, they go to your house. They've come to my house too. The a lot of service. people use them after nightclubbing all night. Oh yeah. Okay. We use them after hard, <laughs> yeah, hard exercise. Yeah. You know? I wonder who feels worse. Yeah, I think the nightclubbers feel worse than we yeah. Do. Yeah. They just stick their arm off the bed, right? They can barely, yeah. And they're not necessarily make it into the gym. I do know a few guys that go pretty hard at night and make it into the gym. We might know the same guys. Um, Tell us a little bit about your nutrition. Are you eating whatever you want? Ice cream at night? Burgers and fries? No. I I wish. Not exactly. I do like that. I don't like. I do like burgers, though, but I'll eat it without the bun. I'm sure you and Gabrielle go out for a burger every now and then. I, I don't I don't eat the bun though, but I I, I, I can't you know? let it let us wrap. Yeah, it's uh it's sacrilegious. I I, I, I I love food, and I love to eat. Um, obviously I would be I would be in the wrong business. Um, but I have a pretty I have a pretty fairly strict diet. Um, I don't eat any bread. I don't eat any pasta. I don't eat any rice. <laughs> ever. Unless maybe I'm on vacation, right? You know, like I'm not stupid. Yeah. You know, like you know. If you're in Italy, you might have some pasta. I'm going to Europe this summer. I'm gonna eat croissant in France. Please, I mean, do, please know. do. Yeah, at yeah. least one. Um, but I mean, you have to live every day, and if you don't have rules, if you don't create good habits, then your life is just gonna. I feel like my life is gonna fall apart. Maybe some, you know, maybe you know, people are different, but I need to create good habits to succeed. Or I'm not going to make it. You know, you know I, I was up at 6 in the morning yesterday, and I came home at 11 o'clock at night. I have to, you know, well, yesterday is a bad example because I went to the heat game. So let's talk about this oh, morning. Yeah. Woke up at 6 this morning, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be home at 11 o'clock tonight. If I don't have great habits, that ain't happening. And no. I'm not going to be able to achieve my dreams and my goals. You just won't be productive. There's so, no way. Exactly. So, and I realize part of that is going to be nutrition and my supplements, and my exercise, and my sleep, or I can't accomplish, I won't be able to do the hard work, you know? And if yes. I'm getting wasted, I can't do that either, mm-hmm. you know? So so it's like, 
what do you want? You know, what's your goal? If your goal is and your target is success and whatever it is you want to do, including your relationship, you know, you know, then I have to figure out what are the building blocks in order to get there. And then I have to be strict about those. And once in a while, yeah, you have a cheat day, you know, but a cheat day can't become a habit mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden that becomes the new habit and all of a sudden you're not, you've lost your, your core um, vision. A cheat day, we've heard it before, turns into a cheat meal, turns into a cheat day. A cheat day turns into a cheat weekend. Cheat weekend turns into Thursday through Monday. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're off the rails. That's right. And yeah. and it's very, very hard once you start a new habit. And some habits are actually impossible to break. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Power of Habit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Charles oh, yeah. Dughill. Um, so some habits are so impossible to break. The only way you can change them is by substituting a habit for that bad habit, Bro, tricking yeah. yourself with a similar reward that it's healthier than the original habit. One addiction for another, so to speak. Yep, that's exactly right, right. which is the foundation, I think, in philosophy of um, Alcoholics hey, Anonymous. That's right. Yeah, That's right. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a place where I had a membership to the local YMCA and it didn't take long for me to realize why there was 20, 25, 30 men in there training from the local halfway house because they, they got a reduction in the membership rate. It was offered so they could exchange those habits. Yeah. And they were there every day. And they would look at me and say, stay out of trouble, kid. That's amazing. Well, everybody looked at AA and said, this makes no sense. You know, like the steps were, were were named after the disciples, the number of steps, you know, like that doesn't, there's, there's science to it, but there actually is a science to it. Right. And it's the science of habit and the habit loop, which now like Harvard and great universities are all discovering and, um, and implementing that in, in their, in their curriculum. Completing every step. Yeah. So you're also, you know, Sharif, Sharif Malnick is, uh, owner of the forge. He's involved in, in the Make-A-Wish. Why don't you tell us about a little bit about Make-A-Wish in, in your, because the Make-A-Wish Foundation, what I know of it, is just an incredible thing. I mean, every story I hear is just, you know, rips your heart out. And these, these kids are, you know, dealing with these extreme life circumstances and you're doing something really special for them. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Make-A-Wish is is part of my DNA now. And a lot of people that, you know, that are involved with Make-A-Wish with me feel the same way. It's, it's inevitable because what we do is, um, it's so special, you know, it's so enlightening, uh, it's so fulfilling that you just, you just can't help but, but breathing it, you know, and living it. Um, so one one of the I gotta tell you you know I, I got involved with Make a Wish for several reasons but one of them that I appreciate um, especially is I looked at all the people around me that were involved in Make a Wish and I said all these people are better than I am I want to be like they are let me try to do something like they do so that I can be half the people that they are these people are amazing. These people are are compassionate and 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 unselfish That's right. and giving and loving and they're not asking for anything in return. I need to do a lot of work on myself, you know. I want to be a better person, 
and honestly, that you know, I I still look at all the people that I work with, and I was like, these people are just so great. You know, I'm so lucky that they're letting me in the room. I really right. feel that way. You know, I've been chairman of the next of the next one. Yeah. Chairman of the Make a Wish Ball for this would be my twelfth year, um, and we've had a lot of great success. You know, I was asked to come in, um, and my father was a lifetime benefactor of Make a Wish, and I had made a comment to him that I think the not wanting a position <laughs> that I thought the ball. Uh, you know, when you're in the restaurant business, you can smell something's. Even though you're full, like mm-hmm. some things need to change, or you may not be full next year. And I kind of felt that way, and and um, so I was asked by the CEO and, and my dad if I would take over and be chairman. I said I would if I could have if I would be listened to because I wanted to reinvent. Like mm-hmm. I did some reinvention on the restaurant, right. very similar parallel. And so so we've had enormous success. And last year, for example, we raised two and a half million dollars. Wow. Mark Anthony performed. Yeah, it was great. That's and great. You know, when we took over, I think Make a Wish was doing about th- the ball was doing about three hundred thousand dollars a year. So, you know, we want to take it up to the next level. I'm very, very proud. I have an amazing team of people that I work with. My partners in the ball are Robert Hill, who's the general manager of the Intercontinental, mm-hmm. and Norm Wedderburn, who's the CEO of Make a Wish. Um, and now I joined the board of directors of Make a Wish, um, which has been now I, I wear the hat of looking for the foundation's benefit in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be chairman of the board uh, our, this next fiscal year, which starts in September. I'll be chairman of the board for a year. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank it's you. a huge, huge uh, position. A lot of responsibility, right? Well, you know, it's, it, it's, I don't, I don't, it's all responsibility. Everything that we're doing is responsibility. I think every great thing that you have the opportunity to get involved in it's, it goes without saying mm-hmm. there's lots of responsibility, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to just make sure if you put somebody in that position or if you take that position, you know, um, include, including relationships. I mean, you know, if you're going to hold yourself out to be something, you have to be able to deliver no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what it takes. Right. And you don't, uh, it's, it's, uh, you don't have the option to change your mind, Okay. You've committed to something, you have to see it through, right? So whether it be your job, you know, a, ch- a board, you know, a position on the on a board of directors, or being chairman or chair, whatever it is, you know. And I guess that's the only possible way that you'll ever have self-esteem, anyway. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to do otherwise would would turn you into something that's less than desirable. Absolutely, which segues nicely into two of the most important responsibilities and jobs you have uh, one is being a father what's it like uh, being a father in this crazy he, uh, interesting schedule there's so much going on and I've had the pleasure to uh, work with uh, Yassim and he's doing a uh, he does a great job when I get to work with him What's it like being a dad? Tell us about the responsibilities and your approach. How, how do you do it? I mean, it's a, it's a, a lot of responsibility. I know one thing. Um, the way I was raised uh, by my mom, 
I know the best part of being a parent or the most important part of being a parent is rule number one, you got to be there. You got to be there. Tell me about how you parent because being a parent is hard. It does not come with a playbook. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I love your story and how you were raised, by the way, and have so much respect for your mom. Thank you. Um, and so honored to have met her um, and yeah. to know your story. Okay. Oh, yeah. And she's proud of you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, you know, very much. I, that means I, a lot. I can feel her and, and, and her pride in you. And, you know, she lives through your beautiful words and your actions and the kind of noble man that you become, you know. Um, so, anyway. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, listen, it's a lot easier to talk about how to be a father after you've been through it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, you know, it's much easier to be a better father. I have the opportunity um, because I have my wife's stepkids, mm -hmm. my wife's kids who are mm -hmm. my stepchildren, who to me are my children. I love them like they're my children. Um, so raising my son was was very interesting um, experience. <laughs> he's a he he's a a beautiful soul with a great heart, you know, and has always been a handful. But I suppose when I was younger, I was a handful too. So you know, what goes around comes around. <laughs> you know, one thing that it's hard you wanna you wanna nurture your children. Mm. But, you know, there's an expression, you know, too much reward for potty training. You know, like mm -hmm. you have, you know, you have 30-year-old or 40-year-old people that still want you to congratulate them because they're still going on the potty. Right. It's like, hey, little Johnny, yeah. you know, <laughs> you have to achieve something <laughs> right, right. for a reward. You know, like, come on. Right. Um, and so I try to, to make that balance, you know, between, and I raise pretty much my son by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was busy. I was working late at night, and I had you know, really crazy hours for all, most of those years. Um, and I tried to balance between, between nurturing him and not in, overindulging him and also trying to create. You know, now I, I realize, in retrospect, what, what is my job as a parent? I think, first and foremost or at least at, one, at the very top of the list, top few, is I have to prepare you to be independent and fend for yourself in the world without me. That's right. <laughs> if I can't do that, then I failed. You know? Yeah. So yes, give lots of love, yes. And I loved my little boy so much and we were very huggy and you know I kiss mm -hmm. him and you mm -hmm. know but but really you know if I did that and, and, and he can't fend for himself in the world then I failed mm -hmm. so just showing love is not enough you know I mean another thing that I learned is that you know your your kid is it's not your friend you, you, you said that before daughter. that's right it's not your best friend. It's not healthy. No, you know you can't you can't discipline or tell your best friend what to do um, because you're equal, you know. And so, so I, I've learned a lot over the years, and you know, um, 
what's interesting is the dynamic that I think you see when my son and I work out together. Oh yes, we're 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 running side by side and sprinting, oh. and you know he's still wondering how the hell is he <laughs> keeping up with me. He goes, oh boy, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that go on during that training session. There's lots of uh, back and forth, a lot of banter, a lot of um, sarcasm, oh, but yeah. lo lots of hard work for for sure. Um, but there's a lot of fun and yeah. a lot of uh, playful pushing. Yeah, there are. I, listen, I I understand what it's like, and you know, I I always wanted, you know, my dad to, you know, I always wanted to prove myself in front of him, and I know my son wants to do that, and I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. that's great. The bottom line is that as a parent, and you said it about always being there for them, I, and I learned this from my dad, I am there for my dad. I'm there for my kid and all my kids now. I'm there for them no matter what, well, no matter what happens. I mean, when, if they fall or they need help, I'm there for them. I'll, I'll never desert them. Mm -hmm. No matter what they do, I'll never desert them. Yeah, I, I do believe in, in tough love if, need, if it's needed. Mm -hmm. But they'll never lose me as a parent. There's nothing that they could do. Mm -hmm. It's powerful, really. Because not everyone functions that way. No. Really, not everyone. It's just it's the truth. Not everyone functions that way. So you, you, being a father is an important role, but also you happen to be uh, married to someone I know, Miss... Gabriel Anwar now Malnick. And what's it like being married to uh, Gabrielle, which I know her to be an incredible person, incredibly bright, pleasant, beautiful woman uh, of great energy. And um, she's tough. She's tough, you know, and I, 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 I think the world of her energy. But what is that like? Because, you know, she's no pushover. And, you know, she has her own way of doing things. What's that like? Well, firstly, I finally met my match. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I like how you started that off. Like, yeah, so, yeah, I only fight wars I know I can win. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah there's, there's, well, you know, and that's an interesting point, too. And that is that, you know, most battles aren't even worth winning because they're not even worth fighting over. Nice. They're really not, <laughs> you know. Okay. I learned that after you know multiple marriages and relationships um and basically it's the first time in my life that i truly have a partner and when you say a partner um you know that's just a word oh we're partners but are you really partners you know i kind of feel that i've always sort of she'll say i've always had my way <laughs> Until now, <laughs> so you know karma. But but you know what? I just need fifty percent of my way. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you know I, going and giving up the other fifty percent is really healthy. And you know it's not all about me; it's about us. Um, so yeah, she is brilliant. You know, and um, and she's very principled. Um, and she's the most honest person I've ever met in my life. Saying a lot. Yeah. That's saying the a most lot. honest person. Huge so compliment. It is. And, you know, we talked earlier, you know, what's the number one value 
for me is honesty. So, wow, look what I found. I, my, mm-hmm. I, my partner is the most honest person I've ever met. Her honesty will, you know, can be very hurtful <laughs> too. <laughs> Here it comes. You might not like it. Yeah, she, she has no filter. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather hear someone who tells you it as they really see it, whether they're right or not, it's what they believe, than you ever have to question their trust or their loyalty um, because I don't ever question hers. You know, she puts it right on the table the way it is. And she couldn't live with herself if she lied. It would be impossible. By profession, she's many things. Um, but I think many people will probably know her from her uh, career as an actress. What's it like living with an actress? Does she walk around the house in roles? Does she? <laughs> is there any drama going on there? Um, well, because when I see her, she's the most pleasant person in the world, but she's not my partner. Okay, so Gabrielle's an artist, right? Okay, you know, and acting is one of the mediums through which she creates art. Um, so as in living with an artist, you're living, I'm living with someone who is so sensitive to everything that she communicates with animals without speaking. She often knows what I'm thinking without me saying it. She senses things or trends or styles that haven't happened yet. She's a writer, she writes about things that were and are and could be. Um, so I'm living with someone. You're writing poetry right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm living it's with working. poetry. Yeah, okay. You know, That's so, one more for you. Yeah. <laughs> so when your senses are that acute, you know, there were no animals that were killed in the tsunami in Thailand, you know. So, you know, I'm living with someone who's just in another dimension, and it's really healthy for me. That's terrific. I think people are going to uh, kick their partners in the back when they hear this podcast. <laughs> but I understand I happen to have an amazing partner as well, an incredible one. I know that. You yeah. do. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Okay, Sharif, you, I've monopolized your time long enough. Uh, quickly, I end with a speed round of uh, fun questions. They're pretty much one-word answers. And if you don't uh, have a quick answer on one of them, we'll go back to the We'll go back to that uh, question at the end, okay? So very quickly, uh, to wrap it up, these are very basic questions. So speed round, here we go. Favorite food? Hamburger. Hamburger. (laughs) I know I got you thinking about that burger when I brought it up. Yeah. Your favorite ritual? Uh, Working out. Working out. Favorite pastime? Jiu-jitsu. Favorite sports team? Mm, Heat. Of course. Favorite athlete? Mark Magna. <laughs> <laughs> I meant real athlete. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Awesome. Favorite movie of all time? Um, Raging Bull. Great movie. Favorite book? Um, Atlas Shrugged. That's a very good book. Favorite TV show? Oh, let's see. I know you don't watch a lot of TV, but this guy. Yeah, no, I have certain shows that I watch, though. Um, it's between. Narco, uh, Homeland. Homeland. Favorite type of music? 
uh, folk. I have to add folk folk music. Yeah, like folk rock music. Like, okay. You know, like okay. uh, you know, like Neil Young, Crosby, mm-hmm. Stills, and Nash. You know, like favorite restaurant in the world other than the Forge. Um, favorite restaurant in the world. Well, I guess it's a crazy choice, but it's a memory. You know, it may not be my favorite today, but it's my favorite memory, restaurant memory. So it's kind of my favorite memory of right. restaurant. Of course. I would say the courtyard at the Plaza Athenae in Paris. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Perfect. Um, favorite quote? Um, if it's humanly possible, I know I can do it. I knew you were going. Thank you to Mark Magna for uh, that. I knew you were going that route. That's yeah. a great quote. And you have it in your office. I have it on my wall, the entire wall behind my desk in my other office. And I was just had a dinner with someone, and I was talking to him, and he said, I, I, I just told him the quote, and I said, you know, I believe my whole philosophy is, and I've been living that way, that if it's humanly possible, I know I can do it. It's, it's ridiculous because there are things that I shouldn't even attempt, but I know that I feel that I can do it because someone else did it. And then I walked away. He, and as I came back, he goes, you know, I was watching you walking. He goes, you have the body of a 30-year-old. I go, oh, come on. <laughs> he goes, Friends you, know, you know what? You inspired me. I'm going to the gym tomorrow, and I'm changing my life around. So, Mark, you had a lot to All do right. with that because, you know, even though I was living that quote, I didn't have that quote. And so you inspired me, and yeah. you do inspire me, and um, you also train me. Wow. I'm sorry, you're on my team. That's right, team. That's right. Team, well, I appreciate that. Um, and I threw this in there. I threw this next one in there because of your experiences growing up and, and your career in the Forge and everything you do. Favorite celebrity of all time? So you just love to spend time with. You were like, man, I had a great experience with this, this person. Oh, that I know? Yes. Oh boy, there's a lot. You're gonna offend some people out there. I know you are. Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't know why I just got a flashback. Okay. But I can't say it's my. But I, it was a little kid. One of. One of. I was a little kid. Okay. And there was a guy that was really, really nice to me, Jimmy Durante. Do you know who he is? No, I don't. <laughs> Nobody will know who he is that listens to your podcast. Okay, let me let me just think. I'm having a mental block. Um, I need a minute to think about this. I mean, you were Sinatra, Michael Jackson. I know, but the word favorite to be with, you know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. So you spent time with you like, wow, that was special. Let me just look around the office and see some of these pictures. It's a very tough question. I'm having a mental block. That's all right. And I have to be, I can't think of it later because you won't have my voice saying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. All well, right, can we come back to yeah, that one? Yeah, sure. Your, your mentor is? My dad. Of course. Your mentor is your dad. And you're one of the, at what moment, this is usually the, the, this is the final question always. At what moment in your life do you realize what real hard work what real hard work is. There was a moment, an aha moment, well, this is hard work. 
you know, honestly, Mark, it's been an evolution my whole life, and I haven't even even come close to reaching my potential. Okay, so you know, when I ran a marathon, I thought, you know, wow, this is hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, like in the twenty-first mile, but know, highly manageable. Yeah. yeah, but so so, and now when I'm pushing myself, I don't. I, I kind of look at it in a sense that I don't I don't think there's anything that is too hard of work. And you know, I, if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's not really work. Right. You know, I think that I think that the part to me that is that is a more valuable way of looking at this with all due respect for me is not how hard work is is what am I willing to go through in terms of of being able to overcome pessimism when I hit obstacles mm -hmm. to not quit? That's the hard work. Not the hours. Not how difficult the challenge is. Not how much smarter I have to be. That's a given. Mm -hmm. It's being let down. Right. It's being told you it's not going to work. It's working with people that all say this is impossible and you believe it's possible and not get convinced. Okay, that's the hard work. Oh, yeah. The naysayers. Thank you for that. One more shot. Favorite celebrity. Got to get it in. Okay. This would sound crazy. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> And I'm sure there's somebody out there that I'm supposed to actually know that this is who it should be, and I just am having a mental block. Okay. But I'll tell you an experience that I had with a celebrity okay. that was a very moving experience for me. Um, and that was I was flying back from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia to New York. It's a 13-and-a-half-hour flight. And I sat down next to Muhammad Ali for 13-and-a-half <laughs> hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> you forgot about this one? And we spoke... <laughs> The whole time. That's okay? incredible. Yes. That's incredible. And I had met him in Miami and had met him in Saudi Arabia. And then briefly, and then um, we end up sitting next to each other on the plane the whole way back. And we just talked and talked. And he told me about his philosophy and his life. And you do a whole interview on that conversation. It was unbelievable. So I'm going to say Muhammad Ali. Do you remember any specific takeaways from that conversation? It was just a very spiritual conversation. Um, about his beliefs um, and things that he's been through and, 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 and standing for his beliefs. And I just ended the flight with such a, an inspiration of a man who did it his way because he felt that he was being honest mm -hmm. and that as long as he was being honest, things would turn out okay for him, and they did. And you get off, that's incredible. And you get off the plane and, and you call uh, a couple of your friends. You said, yeah, I just... Had a 13-hour conversation with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> he was so loving and giving, you know, giving, right? Giving. Yeah, That's it comes right. back to giving. Incredible. The right kind of giving. Well, that all powerful messages. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know everyone's going to enjoy this a great deal. Mr. Sharif Malik, thank you so much. Listen, if they don't like it, it was your fault because you, you interviewed me. I know. It's, okay. my, it's, it's all on me. Thanks so much, Sharif. Thanks, Mark.